This is Robert Bernalacci, the Mindshare Learning for Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine. And welcome to This Week in Canadian EdTech at Mindshare TV Learning Moment with the legend Mark Prensky, best known for the phrase digital natives and digital immigrants, me being one of those. Uh, he is an author, keynoter on today's conversation, Unleashing the Power of Two Billion Kids. Thank you for joining me today, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. You are one of the most forward-thinking people in this area. Thank you. At least in Canada, perhaps, for the moment. But uh, you're very kind. A little bit about Mark. He's an award-winning, globally acclaimed, practical visionary whose focus is on the world's 2 billion kids. He has spoken in over 40 countries, authored eight books and over 100 articles and essays, and is, as I mentioned, coiner the term digital native. Uh, and previously, he worked at the Boston Consulting Group for six years and uh, ran a game-based learning company for over a decade. Uh, currently, is the founder and executive director of the Global Future Education Foundation in Palo Alto. I'm envious, Mark. Uh, you uh, certainly embraced the growth mindset over the years. So impressive. Uh, how do you keep at it? Where do you get this energy from? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I am, as, as we discussed earlier, I'm 76 years old. And, wow. Or 76 years old. I didn't old. want to share your age, but uh, uh, now that I'm you have, and you don't look it. Because it inspires people that you can still, that you can still have energy and thoughts and thinking um, at every age. And that's important to, to understand because too many people give up at some point in their lives. And I don't give up. And so um, I keep I keep thinking. I keep uh, you know the the uh, there's a famous quote from uh, I forget who it is. Ancora imparo. I'm still learning. When there was yes. words, I still say I'm still thinking, and yeah. uh, and I think beyond learning. Learning is not what counts anymore. It's yeah. really thinking, new thinking, accomplishing, um, and that's what I try to do. Well, I love the notion of unleashing the power of two billion kids. I love the the mindset that you have around inclusivity, uh, inclusivity and diversity. And um, what inspired that? Well, what we all want to do is is to prepare all the kids in the world, the two billion kids that live in the world, for their mid to late twenty first century future and lives. And we're struggling now with how to do that. So I went back to thinking about how we have done it in the past. And our solution through the 20th century was education. We put the people into rooms and, and they learned in advance. And now we've expanded that to some learning online. But basically learning in advance for years and years and years until you were ready maybe to start doing something at the bottom. That is really no longer necessary. So humanity, in a sense, has outpaced education because we don't need to sit in rooms and, and prepare people for years and years and years before we put them out in the world. They come equipped with the entire world's knowledge in their pocket now. They are radically connected. They can do all sorts of things that young people just could never do before. 
And we're just at the very beginning of understanding that, of, of putting it into our consciousness, and of, even more important, using it in a positive, productive way. Thank you for that. Fascinating times. Uh, I love your thinking. And, um, you know, the pandemic uh, was transformational in many ways. Uh, you know, 100% of educators had to use some form of tech-infused pedagogy. Dr. Steve Jordan's from the University of Toronto, psychologist, talked about the threat of the great snapback. Uh, in emergency learning, it wasn't elegant, and there was a lot of criticism around at tech because of that. Uh, but but there was there were some positives in the equation. Um, you know, professional learning. You know, we're creating uh, an ed tech program uh, for faculties of education that doesn't exist to help educators understand the sector and, and as a career option as well. So we're being mindful and we're being proactive. Um, there's a lot of work to be done yet to, to get the teachers to embrace your thinking. How do we accomplish that? The pandemic certainly made a difference in terms of means, but it made almost no difference at all in terms of the fundamental idea of what education is and how it works. To all the world almost, Education is learning in advance. That's what it is. It is having a curriculum of stuff that you're supposed to learn and you spend time learning in advance. And so the fact that we had to move to doing it not in classrooms but online didn't really change that at all. And I think that humanity has basically outpaced that. It's outgrown that whole idea. And in order to prepare young people for the 21st century, what's left of it, we better do something different than any form of education in class, online, whatever it is. And that thing is accomplishment. Young people now can do, and many of them know, they've realized they can do things that young people could never ever do before. They are becoming empowered. They have radical new connections. They have radical new capabilities. And what we call education doesn't acknowledge any of that at all. Thank you for that. And hence uh, the name of your new book, Empowered. What inspired the new book? I just looked around. And I said, well, okay, we have this education system, which I know well, which we all know well. You have a, a son in the system. Or... I have a 17-year-old uh, who's about to become a high school senior, whom I tell every day, well, you better Congratulations. learn. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I, but when I looked around at the young people, at the kids, the, there was no fit at all between what we think of as education and who those young people were and what they needed in order to thrive in the future. And, and uh, the more I saw that mismatch and the more I spoke to young people and heard how unhappy they were in any kind of education, whether it was online or whether it was in classrooms or whether it was in Khan Academy, which I call the Museum of 20th Century Education, uh, 
doing 20th century education was just not what they either wanted to do or what was most likely to help them in their future lives. Now, I want to give credit to some of the educators out there who have embraced, you know, the new, the person, the personalized learning approach, having kids be creators, storytellers. There are some really talented teachers out there. And, you know, right. But how do we scale that? Part of the challenge, part of the challenge is scalability. There's a challenge with how do you train uh, and, you know, do all the teachers want to be trained to be, you know, personalized learning uh, model educators? Not necessarily, uh, but... Um, I see it very differently. Okay. The, uh, the, I see it really differently so that you can, the first of all, teachers are great. And what's great about teachers, and I think this is true for every teacher, is they've chosen to work <laughs> with young people. And that is a, that's an important choice. The young people need that. What's wrong with what's going on and the reason they're suffering and the teachers know they're all suffering is because they've chosen a profession, a way to help kids that is dying, that is over. And that is called what we call education, standing up and teaching them. We don't need to do that anymore. So in order to to prepare our kids for the future, what we used to do was control them. We used to control them as parents and tell them what they could do. We used to control them as teachers and say, this is the curriculum you have to learn. We used to control them as culture and say, this is you know, who you are and what you have to do to be a, uh, this kind of uh, nationality. We, that is over. And so what we want is coaches who can help people realize their own dreams. And the interesting thing about that, the wonderful thing about that, is that it opens up the door to every adult to become, in a sense, a teacher of young people, because every adult has something, some experience on which they could coach a team of young people. And so I don't think that when you say, oh, they're creating and they're making book and they're all this kind of stuff, that that's enough. That's not even close to enough. That what they are not doing and what they need to be doing and what they could be doing and what they want to do is accomplish, is to solve real world problems. There are, there are three things that we're never going to run out of as, as human beings, no matter how much technology or AI or we get. We're never going to run out of people with dreams we're never going to run out of problems to fix. And we're never going to run out of people who need help. And we're also never going to run out of people who want to realize their dreams and want to fix problems and want to help other people. And to me, that's the future of humanity. A lot of the other stuff will be done by AI. Companies will be run by AI. You know, infrastructure will be run by AI. But infrastructure won't be realizing dreams or fixing problems uh, or helping other people. Humans are going to do that. And so if we understand that, then we'll prepare 
the humans to do those three things. And that we're not doing at all in education. It's and, and you're, you're painting a pretty broad stroke brush there. I've seen some excellence in models of success that, you know, we had in our schools of the future challenge uh, students transformed a, a combustion car to an electric car. We're able to race it in a competition, like real world, you know, accomplishment, as you allude to, right? Uh, no, wrong. It, wrong. Wait, wait, wait. Let me stop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, you and I talked about this. Okay. And, and I, there's, there's, I make a difference between accomplishment and achievement. Okay. And it was an achievement to turn a, 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 um, a, a gas car, car into an electric uh, car. But, you know, really nobody cares about, about go-karts, except maybe in the few places where they have them. Here's what would be an accomplishment. If the kids went out and said, okay, we're going to make sure that, this, that what we've created gets distributed to the people who need them so that people who, are, who have to get around can do it in this better way, so that uh, the people in our community can do it in this better way. Uh, just the fact that they managed to, cre you know, create a new kind of car, um, that, that isn't a, an accomplishment for me. It's not enough. It, there's no measurable positive impact except on them, maybe on them, but not on the world. And that's well, what they require. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's a couple of things at play here. I mean, scalability, you, you know, being in a system – these school divisions are huge systems. How do you move a system like the Toronto District School Board with almost 300,000 students into your model of learning in uh, a reasonable amount of time? Like, how Here's do, what I've know? concluded. First yeah. of all, the transition will take 20 years because it's a really a thinking transition, not a doing transition. If the thinking were there, it could happen very quickly. What's going to happen is that it's not going to happen in the schools. It almost certainly will not. It will happen separately from the schools. After school, in things like Scouts and 4-H and other places, what I call empowerment hubs, where young people start doing real-world improving projects. And they get coaches and they hire adults that can help them. If they're interested in astronomy, they hire an astronaut. And they hire real people to help them do real things that either realize their dreams or fix problems or help other people. And that doesn't happen in schools because schools don't want to do that. They're, they're not thinking about that. They are thinking about learning and, and putting content into kids' heads. And that's what they see their mission as. So while I love the teachers and I love the people who want to help young people, to help them in the way that they were helped, that we were helped in the 20th century, is the wrong way to go. That's the real, the real question now, is whether we can still prepare our kids for the future by controlling them, by putting things into them. That's the way we used to do it, as parents, as teachers, as, as employers. Now we have to open up their minds, get them to to have, have whatever is in them personally come out of that in a new way. And that is, we, you mentioned scale. 
let me let me address that. That's very important because what what people I come I live in Silicon Valley. What people mean by scale is they say, well, how can we take the same thing, whatever our curriculum is, and deliver it to two billion kids, right? And I say that is not even remotely what we need to do. What we need to do, if you want to call it scale, is figure out what every human being at, at a young age is capable of. And it's not going to school. It's not even formal learning. It's setting goals and then accomplishing them and realizing projects and then being proud and having the self-confidence and the self-esteem that you get from having done something in the real world. Well, uh, once you realize that, you, yeah. it's easy. Scale well, is just setting up opportunities. Uh, I, you know, we, there's a shift that needs to be happening here from the industrial model to the next iteration of what school is. There's a lot of questioning about what model is ideal. To your point, learning happens everywhere. The community is the school. Our co-working innovation center, where we have co-op students, interns, it's buzzing here. There's all kinds of things going on. And, um, but, you know, what about a school like High Tech High? I mean, you're, it's in your backyard. You, you have no idea how many how many delegations from Canada have come down to visit High Tech High? High Tech High is great. High Tech High was a harbinger. It was one of the first empowerment hubs that, that existed. It, it, it's beautiful. I write about it in my book. I think it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful example. It's, it hasn't been repeated pretty much very much outside of San Diego and a few other places. And the, the thing that I would say about high tech high is that it doesn't go far enough that, that what high tech high, and I've looked very carefully. I've spent time there. I've looked very right. carefully at the projects that they do and they have beautiful things hanging from the ceiling and, but their projects with very few exceptions are not improving the real world. Their projects may be improving their minds. They may be improving other stuff, but the only project that I, really thought was a fabulous project. Actually, there were two. Mm -hmm. One was where the government ran out of money to test the water in San Diego. And they had bought all this expensive equipment. And as one of the high-tech high projects, they said, oh, what if we did that? What if we students did that? And they faced a lot. They did it. They published it. They faced a lot of obstacles because the government wouldn't put it online because they weren't certified enough. They were too young. They were all <clears throat> stuff, but they did it. It was real world and it was helpful to a lot of people. The other project I liked a lot is when they published a guide to the San Diego um, marine life. And that, again, people could buy that, use that, benefit that. But a lot of what they do, like what was shown in that movie, um, that, 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 that Ted Dindersmith made was, mm -hmm. it was a silly little clock that sits on the wall that does nothing. And it was, it was a complex machine and it took them a long time to build, but it absolutely did nothing for the world. And so the real change in perspective, and I, when we reframe this, is that it's not that learning is bad. It's that learning is not the goal. The goal is accomplishing. 
and learning is a byproduct. Is it more about experiences? Is, is that, I mean, life is about, you know, people travel, people learn by doing like being on in different countries. It's the journey. Are you saying it's more of the journey? No, not I'm the, not even saying the destination. The I'm saying, I'm saying, what's the purpose of the journey? I'm mm -hmm. saying that if you, if you, if you are a person like my, I hope my son will do when he gets out of high school, he won't go to college. He will go, travel the world and stay with a lot of my friends and see a lot of people. But if all he does is travel and he doesn't come back and do anything with whatever he's gained, like the empathy or the, the, the language or whatever it is, if he doesn't do anything with that, then I think it was a waste. I think it was literally a waste. I don't think the things you do just for yourself are, are worth, I, I, they're worth it for you. But they're right. not the world paying for it. So develop, uh, developing your skills, co competencies. Is I, I don't think that I think that if you can use those in a positive way, then that's fine. You're better off in my world. You'd be much better off getting the job and learning those on the job because then, you know, they'd be useful. But to have, you know, your list of competencies on your resume and say, guess what? You know, I have all these competencies. I should get a job. No, there's no reason why you should. You have to have be matched with what you can do and what you love to do with what somebody needs. And, and that is the piece that's missing. That's the, that, that matching of needs and people is completely missing. And I'm just reflecting back with our discussion, you know, and empowering kids in the right direction. I mean, I think of your your long weekend and the mass shooting that happened. What what drives somebody to do that? If you don't have hope, if you don't have a vision of where you're going, and someone who cares about you, I mean, well, I here here's the way I I would look at it. So. There are crazy people, and we know that they're crazy people, and we know that in my country they have access to guns much more easily, so we see these horrible things happen. But what if that young person had started from the very early times of his life knowing that he could accomplish positive things that, that he could point to and say, see that? It wasn't good before I was here, but now it's great. And he had experiences of doing that over and over and over again. My sense is he would have been happier doing positive things for the world than doing what he did, which were clearly negative things for the world. He thought that was the only thing he could do. That was the only power he had. He, he's empowered to shoot people. Well, no, he's a young person who's empowered to help the world positively in tons of ways. You know, and and he just never figured that out. And we never helped him figure that out. And that's the shame. And that's and that's the challenge we have upon us as leaders to embrace uh, a new way of learning uh, and preparing our kids. And the notion of you embrace the notion of future proofing kids and helping them prepare for the future. Yes, but it's not through learning. It's, it's through embracing a different way of growing up. The, as long as we make learning our goal, and, and education is conflated with learning all over the world, 
Right. And as long as the only thing we say to kids is what did you learn in school and how much did you learn? And the only thing we measure is how much learning did you do and all that. As long as we focus ourselves only on this idea of learning, we will never get to where we want to be. Learning is the wrong goal. It may have been the right goal in the past when right. it was hard to learn. But the but now the learning is in your pocket. You you have a YouTube on every single thing you could possibly want to know about, and so it that it is really really silly. And then what we do it worse because we rank the kids, and ranking is is almost like shooting them because every time somebody wins, everybody else loses. So ranking kills. Ranking is the wrong is really a wrong approach, and. Well yeah, go ahead. Mark, you, you, you talked about um, what, uh, you know, as we get crime babies in the mall here. So that's one of the downsides of having a co-working that's space in the mall. Leaf blowers in my but, backyard. But uh, what about um, the process? You said 20 years. How do we accelerate this? How do we engage our leaders, the ones, the change agents, to lessen that curve. I mean, 20 years is a long time. I'm seeing change happening. We have examples across the country of school, small school districts, agile, that the community is going to be the school. They're becoming hubs. They're not going to call them schools anymore. So we're seeing that happening, but not in a systemic way. Yes. And, and, you know, I go back. The reason I picked 20 years is 20 years ago is when I coined the term digital natives. And that term was, you know, very radical and everything else at the time. Now it's published every day in newspapers. So it really does take time for people to accept new ideas and new ways of looking at things. And, you know, the, the, the tongue-in-cheek way to accelerate stuff is what, is what Bill Gates said earlier in his life that I remember. I may be the only person to remember. They said, well, how are you going to get people to accept these new things called computers, you know, the, how are you going to get the old people? And his answer was people die. So it is really, in a sense, generational turnover. And, and that's why it takes 20 years. And there is very little that the, the only things that I can think of that we can do to accelerate it is to give kids more power and to show them, let them accomplish things, let them have roles that we normally give to adults, let them do a lot of things that they can do, but that most adults would never even dream of letting them do. So what if we said, okay, you know, all the teachers in the school are going to, you know, just lay back and, and, and uh, yeah, we got to pay them, but the only people who are going to work are going to be the kids, right? And so there are people doing things like that. Esther Wojcicki does things like that. Um, you know, she sits there in the corner and the kids run the class. But, the, but most people are not willing to do that. Most people are not willing to accept young people as powerful. And that's why it's going to take 20 years, because people will die and fall on their swords before they accept that. Thank you for that. You know, I'm, I'm inspired when kids are given agency and you see what they're capable of. Uh, one of the master teachers I know in Toronto her and her colleague have been doing a business day uh, showcase for the last 18 years where teams of kids in grades four to six create businesses. 
they draw, they do business plans. They come up with a logo. They come up with a product. They, they do letter writing for sponsorship. And then they do a showcase of their wares and they sell their products. And it's all around sustainability and the environment. And, and to see the professionalism and how they embrace the responsibility is really heartwarming when you give the kids agency. It's heartwarming. And the sad part is that it's surprising. And the, that, that's the sad part. And so, yeah. yes, people like you, there are tons of stories around this. They should go further because the, the best thing that I've heard about those projects that you're talking about is that they need to have, they need to have clients. So you don't just let kids do a project. You let kids do a project for a company or for a city. Right. And the people who run the company in the city are the judges of whether it's a useful and completed project or not. not the teachers. teachers don't know. So let's let's put the kids together with real clients. And, and when you can give me some more examples of that, I will listen very carefully. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, one of the schools that won our challenge last year from Winnipeg, uh, Louis Rail School Division, a team of girls put together a Minecraft redesign of their school, recreated in Minecraft. And uh, a welcome garden, uh, learning commons, uh, a number of unique elements as they were planning a renovation for the school. And the superintendent said at the conclusion of it, when he saw the video and we announced them as the national winners, that he was sharing that video with the architects to make sure they infuse some of their ideas. I think that's really that's, speaks absolutely. to there are, there's, there are yes, it's what you're talking less. about. There are kids in classes of fourth graders who've designed theme parks, water parks for themselves. And the and they responding to an RFP from the city council. And the city council just said to the architects, you build that. You build what the kids Amazing. design and what the kids want. So when we start to see that and and, you know, it's so one of the things that we can do now. And I think I've heard of maybe one place that does this. We can build our schools as just big empty barns and that are very nice on the outside. And the kids using CAD software can redesign them every week or every month. And they can rebuild it and it can happen and it can change and it can so you don't want to just do this stuff once, you yeah. want to do it constantly. Well and I'm really I, I'm disappointed actually by some of the things that people hold up as great examples of change in new projects. Yeah, well, we like to stay agile here and flexible with our work and learning spaces. And, you know, we're models of the future and we we embrace that. And it's that growth mindset that you really need, uh, as you've alluded to in Empowered. And the congratulations on your new book. Well, am I radical enough for, for uh, everybody at, at, at this point? Uh, somebody I, I, called, you know, somebody well, called you, me shockingly radical, you, but you, also yeah. usefully radical. You know, well, it's a, you need to stir emotion in people to 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 make change happen, right? It's not going to happen. People take the least path of resistance typically. So, kudos to you for being uh, the mover and shaker that you are in uh, in education and globally. You know, you're you're a global legend in my in my book. So I, I I'm grateful for having the opportunity to uh, have this conversation with you today, Mark Krensky. Well, you're very kind, and and I like the things that you're doing. And 
if you want to redesign your space just every year, get a team of kids and, and say, redesign the space. And, you know, you, it can't be the same two years in a row. We're going to have a new team every year. We're going to redo it. It'll be radical. Um, this is the, what the world is now. It's changing continuously. And if we don't embrace that, if we think we can do things once and stop, then we're, we're just not at the same wavelength as the young people who know that they live in a continuously changing world. And that's a scary world for people who didn't grow up in one. Yeah, 100%. With that, with that, Mark Prensky, thank you so much again for your time this afternoon. My pleasure. That was Mark Prensky, uh, award-winning, globally acclaimed, practical, visionary author uh, who is focused on the world's two billion kids. And uh, be sure to check out his book, Empowered. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep. <laughs>